First Peter chapter three, beginning in verse one. Here's what it says. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in this moment, we would like to ask that you would be so kind, that you'd be so gracious and so merciful. Lord, as to do the only thing um, that we need today, Lord, and that is to hear from you, to hear from your word. Lord, it's the thing that only you can do. Lord, and that's by the power of your spirit that you would shine light on these words that are in your word. Shine light on places in our hearts that are dark. Lord, and use these words and the words that I prepared, Lord, to great effect in our hearts and in our souls and the life of our church family. So we ask that you would do these things um, for the sake of your name and your glory. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So I have been in Christian ministry in some shape or form since some really nice people in Texas gave me a job in 2005. So I've been in pastoral work in some shape or form for the last 16 years. And there's a lot of things that are wrapped up in pastoral work, pastoral ministry. I don't know what you necessarily think that a pastor does all day long, um, but it's a complicated job. But one of the things that makes it most complicated is that being a pastor requires you to be a student of people. And people are complicated. They're complex. But believe it or not, as complicated and as complex as people are, there are some things about people that is utterly predictable, okay? People tend to fall into predictable patterns. I'll just give you one example. 
We've been doing an outdoor worship service like this for the last year. There is roughly three or four acres on this property, but we gather together and all of you sit in the same place every time, okay? So for example, Ethan and Katie are always there, okay? Without fail, they're always gonna be there, right there. Okay, John and April are normally somewhere just right where April is right now. The Sorrells have been, have been holding down that little area um, for a little while now. Um, Jessica Rush is always right there on the lawn, like, like every time. That's basically where she is if she's not serving us somewhere else. The people even in the cars, the car people. <laughs> the car people park in roughly the same places. People tend to fall into predictable patterns. It's like we have this default mode that we live according to. And that's all fine and good. Until it's not fine and good. And I think that's a helpful way to think of this passage of Scripture. Because in this passage of Scripture that I've read for you and that I'll preach from, the Apostle Peter is trying to plead and encourage his listeners to not fall into the same predictable patterns. And in this case, the same predictable patterns of how husbands and wives relate to one another. See, in the Greek and Roman world of Peter's day, Wives acted a certain way in a very predictable way. Husbands acted a very particular way in a predictable way. And these patterns, according to Peter, were destroying the community of faith. So in this text today, Peter is going to plead with husbands and wives to relate to one another differently different than the cultural patterns that would have been expected. Now, before I get into this passage, I just want to give you really just two main kind of caveat comments before we begin. First of all, Peter's words here, especially to wives, are not intended at all to encourage wives to remain in abusive relationships. Okay, now now throughout the Christian tradition, there have been times where Peter's words here in particular were used to encourage women to remain in abusive relationships, and that is not what Peter's after here. If you remember, a few weeks ago, we saw how Peter is encouraging the believers to, in general, cooperate under the rule of the secular government, not to excuse a secular government's injustices, but in a very practical way to live underneath a difficult situation. If you remember, we looked at Peter's words to slaves, in particular, encouraging them to be cooperative with their masters, okay? Not as a way to justify abusive behavior on the part of the master, but it's encouragement to live with a kind of hopefulness and faith in Jesus in the midst of a difficult situation. And these words in particular are not intended to encourage wives to remain in abusive relationships, but instead to give very practical pastoral advice 
for husbands and wives who are walking through difficult marital situations. So that's caveat number one. Secondly, second caveat, for me to say the things that I think that this text teaches is going to require me to pry a little bit into your business, okay? And just know that I don't really take a lot of pleasure in that, okay? It's hard for me, but I'm going to do it because I think that's what is being asked of me here, okay? All right, that's a caveat. Now, in this text, Peter, I think, is trying to get across really one main idea, and I'm going to tell it to you right quick for clarity's sake. I think Peter is trying to encourage, trying to show, trying to, to display, trying to proclaim, trying to convince all of us that there is a better way of relating to one another. In Christ... We possess a living hope, and therefore, there is a better way of relating to one another than the ways that are often handed to us by the cultures in which we live. So, let's take a look at this. Peter's first words here are to wives. Now, in this section, he is going to address what was a predictable pattern of wives in the world in which he writes. I want to say a little bit about the way that wives' lives were difficult in the Greek and Roman world. Um, women in the Greek and Roman world in particular, and wives more specifically, um, were in a painful situation. And, and that's because in the world in which Peter is writing, women were treated as something way lower than a second-class citizen. See, in the Greek and Roman world of Peter's day, the whole entire society was like carefully stratified. You had the wealthy Roman men who were at the top of the social pyramid. Below them, you had perhaps something of a Roman citizen, just sort of your everyday Roman person. But again, the men were at the top. Somewhere below that, you had folks who had maybe walked their way out of servitude or slavery, but again, men were at the top. And then on and on we go. Women were not at all considered to be important in the culture in which Peter writes. They were in a difficult situation, and many of them, many of them were struggling underneath this system and in particular, they were really hurting in difficult and painful marriages. It's in that situation that Peter writes. Look at what he says in verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. See, what's often also true, especially in early Christian communities, that many Christian women were married not just to difficult husbands, but they were married to husbands who were not believers. See, in the world of Peter's day, 
There were far more women who were Christians than men who were Christians. There's lots of historical reasons for that. But not only are some women married to difficult husbands, they're also married to husbands who are not believers. And according to um, Peter here, there was a predictable pattern that these wives would often fall into. And it was essentially to be uncooperative, to be cold, to be distant, maybe to be critical of this lousy husband, perhaps to be callous, perhaps to be difficult, perhaps to heap shame upon this difficult, perhaps even unbelieving husband. In fact, you can read letters in the Greek and Roman world in which women would behave that way. So rather than following the lead of, rather than being subject to, as Peter says, because of them in this living in this tough situation, they would take on these ungodly attitudes with regard to these husbands. And Peter gives instruction here. He tells them to be subject to them, which again is not an excuse to tolerate abusive behavior, but it's a call to generally speaking, try to be agreeable, to try to go along with to do their very best to live at peace with even these difficult husbands. Now, Peter gives a reason why, why? And we're told that some may be won without a word simply by the conduct of their wives. Peter imagines a better way of wives relating to difficult husbands. He imagines a sort of agreeable posture so that it could bear witness to Christ so that these unbelieving husbands, at least some of them, might come to know the truth. But then he goes on with some more instruction. Look at verse three. And do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. See, in these words, we get another hint at another predictable pattern that wives would often fall into in this day. And that's because, and that has something to do with the fact that because their husbands were perhaps negligent, perhaps their husbands were not meeting their needs, perhaps their husbands were treating them poorly, they would try to win over their husbands by simply their physical beauty or their sexual attractiveness. Perhaps in the pain of being unnoticed and unheard and not understood, there's evidence in this day that women would, would begin to take, put all the emphasis on the external parts of their, their beauty in order to try to gain the attention from these lousy husbands. But look at the instruction that Peter gives instead. Verse four, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Quite simply, Peter is encouraging wives to concentrate on their inner character. 
in spite of the pain of being in this difficult marriage, to spend more time cultivating an inward beauty and character. Because that would be the thing that is pleasing in God's sight. Now, this is somewhat revolutionary because in the world of Peter's day, women were basically seen as mostly objects for the sexual gratification of a man. So Peter is calling on them and honoring them and telling them that there is a deeper, more beautiful beauty, that inner part of who they are, and to cultivate that regardless of what the culture would tell them to trust themselves to God, to develop an inward holiness, character, and beauty. Now, Peter gives an illustration, and it's a very strange illustration. Look at verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. This is a strange illustration, but Peter reaches all the way back to the beginnings of the Bible, to the book of Genesis. And he uses Sarah as an example here, and it's a really strange example. And here's why. Peter says, remember that time that Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. Well, there's one place in the book of Genesis where Sarah actually called Abraham Lord. And it was right after she heard that she was going to have a baby when she was of old age. And it says that she didn't believe in that moment. And she laughed and she said, am I supposed to have a baby with you, my Lord? Like she's, she's struggling to believe. She's struggling to believe this impossible thing. And that's the connection that Peter's trying to draw. Just like Sarah struggled to believe this impossible thing. He's looking at his his audience. He's saying, maybe wife, you might be struggling to believe this impossible thing. That if you concentrate more on your inner beauty, if you do your best to have a posture of cooperation, that this would be pleasing to God and it would help win over your husband. That might sound ridiculous just like it kind of sounded ridiculous that Sarah was going to have a baby in her old age. But see, God came through for Sarah with regard to all the things that he promised her. And it's Peter's way of saying to the wife, God will come through for you for all the things that he's promised. You cultivate the beauty of, of obedience to Jesus. And God will come through in all the ways that he's promised. See, Peter is trying to convince his hearer that there is a better way for wives to relate to husbands than the ways that were offered to them in the culture in which they lived. Now, you can just imagine it, right? You can just imagine that Peter has written this letter, that this letter is being read in Christian communities, and wives are being challenged here. And you can just imagine that there are perhaps husbands in the crowd that are beginning to kind of look over at their wives and say, see, see what Peter the apostle has told you? And then verse 7 happens. Look at verse 7. 
Peter turns his attention to husbands. And I want to warn you in advance, it is a strong, strong challenge. In verse 7, when he says, likewise, husbands, it could be translated as, and also, by the way, you, husbands. Likewise, by the way, you, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers not be hindered. Again, it's hard for us to even get our minds around how revolutionary Peter's words to husbands would be. These would be husbands that that probably have never been told in their whole life to treat a woman with respect. Would have never even crossed their imagination to do that. They would have never ever thought of that in the world in which they lived. But not only is he saying to treat them with respect, he's saying to treat them with honor, to remember that they are equals to you. See, Peter's talking about another predictable pattern. See, husbands in this world, they would have not honored their wives in any way. They would not have cherished them. They wouldn't have really cared about them. They wouldn't have cared about what they needed They wouldn't have paid any attention to their wife. They wouldn't have thought they were supposed to have. Husbands would have not cultivated. That's what the word husband means, by the way, to cultivate. They would not have cultivated a loving relationship of connection with their wives. They wouldn't have thought to connect with their wives. They wouldn't have been curious about wives and what they, kind of what made them tick. They they wouldn't have thought in that way. Instead, they would have been like a classic Roman man, inconsiderate, inconsiderate, unthoughtful, completely self-absorbed. Perhaps even in the darker ways, they would have been so self-absorbed to just be completely neglectful of their wife and what their wife needed. They would have done their own thing. They wouldn't thought twice about it. But look at Peter's instruction here. Look at Peter's instruction here. He tells them to live with your wives in an understanding way. The word literally means live with your wife in a knowledgeable way, like know her, know about her. Know how she thinks, know how she feels, study her, be curious about her, pay attention to her, cultivate your relationship with her. Look at that. what else he says. Show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Y'all, in this text, her being the weaker vessel, it simply and only means that by and large, for the most part, women are physically not as strong. That's, that's all this means. Now, there are exceptions to this. For example, there are women in Grace Fellowship that are stronger than men at Grace Fellowship. Okay? I mean, I know who they are, and you know who they are too. Okay? But it's trying to say that For the most part, men are physically stronger. And because men are physically stronger, that physical strength is intended to be given away in honor and service to your wife. Y'all, this is an illustration that I just thought of. I I remember when Mandy 
um, who's one of the strongest women I know, when she was pregnant with our third child, Millie, because she was pregnant, she was weaker physically in those moments. And there were times when she was pregnant with Millie. She's got two little boys at the house that are, it's a good word, babe, sucking the life out of you <laughs> all afternoon long. And, and then she's pregnant with Millie. So in that moment, she's, she's physically weaker, physically weaker. Everyone who knows Mandy knows me, knows Mandy's much stronger than me in many ways. But she's physically weaker. And there were days when I would walk into the house after a hard day of shepherding people's souls in ministry. And I'd walk in the door. And as I'm walking in the door, she's starting to back away, basically saying to me, like, you're going to deal with the two boys because I'm going to go lay down back here. And in those moments, everything in me, everything in me wanted to be dishonoring and wanted to say words to her like, well, it's been a hard day for me. I think I'm going to go take a nap, stuff like that. But what Peter is saying is to live with your wife in an understanding way is in that moment to lay yourself aside for her. This would have been completely radical advice. He goes on again in verse 7, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. This is Peter saying to treat a wife like an equal because, oh, by the way, she is. She's a joint heir with you. In all the promises of Jesus. And then one of the more mysterious phrases in all the scriptures. Look at verse 7. So that your prayers may not be hindered. There is some mysterious connection between the way in which a husband is kind and considerate and thoughtful to a wife and that is somehow connected to a husband's spiritual life. If you are a husband here today and you feel kind of stuck in your spiritual life, this text would make you at least consider if you were living with your wife in the understanding way that's being called. These are hard words. And the reason why they're hard words is because I know husbands at Grace Fellowship today that feel beat down and they feel criticized and they feel shamed by their wives. And these are hard words because I know at Grace Fellowship there are wives who feel unseen, completely not understood, they feel neglected. And that is a very, very painful way to live. But the beauty of what Peter is saying here, right into that pain that you might feel, whether you are a husband or a wife, the beauty of what Peter is saying here is that there is a better way of relating to one another it's this mutual dying to yourself and laying yourself aside and giving yourself to another person. 
See, the New Testament knows no place of this kind of attitude. It's like, well, I'm the husband wife, so you have to go along with it. That is not how the New Testament teaches. The New Testament teaches a mutual laying down oneself for the other. That is what a living hope would look like. Where husband and wife are pursuing godliness and maturity, whatever it takes. And of course, this, just like in the other text in 1 Peter, we can zoom out and it becomes a lesson for all Christian relationships. See, this is people who are not married are allowed to listen into Peter's advice to husbands and wives and see also a pattern for just the way that Christian relationships are supposed to work in general. Christian relationships are not supposed to be a seeing what you can get from, from the other person. Christian relationships are about a laying oneself aside. And the whole point of Peter saying these challenging words is to teach and to show that in Christ, there's a better way of relating to one another. There's a better way. See, it's important to remember that in Christ, there's a better way. And all husband and wife language in the Bible finds at its foundation this kind of overarching metaphor that the Bible gives for the way in which God relates to his people. See, a husband and wife relationship is supposed to be a living sign of the way that God relates to his people. There's a better way. If you are here today and you are married, there's a better way. And I want to end tonight by just trying to, as best I can, apply and aim that better way as best I can at your heart before we celebrate at this table. It seems to me that there is a few different ways that you could respond to Peter's teaching here. The idea that there is a better way of relating to one another. I I thought of a few ways you might respond. First of all, when you hear about this vision that Peter presents, you might feel the weight of conviction in your heart and in your soul. Maybe you're a wife and you are not living up to this vision. Maybe you're a husband and you know, you know that you have not been living with your wife in an understanding way. Maybe you feel the weight of conviction. I know for me, sometimes in moments like this, conviction feels like a desire I have right there to begin to squirm in my seat a little bit. I know for me, sometimes conviction feels like my heart beginning to beat a little faster because I feel like the Holy Spirit is actually talking to me directly. Sometimes conviction feels like a weight that begins to sit upon you. And in those moments, you might be tempted to then sort of hide or justify yourself or make an excuse or what about her or what about him? You might be tempted to think that way. But there's a better way. The better way if you're feeling the weight of conviction is to turn and walk a different way. You know, as I thought about these words, I can think of actual real live examples in the last week 
in the last week when I have selfishly neglected and, I, and I'm, I'm going to give my example because I'm a husband. I don't know what it's like to be a wife, but there are ways, there are times, even this week, and I'm even preparing a sermon on it where I have neglected what Mandy has needed. I've not lived with her in an understanding way. All the while, I'm preparing a sermon on all these things to teach the people. And in that sense of conviction, I have a real live opportunity to walk a different way. And so do you. So it seems like you might respond to Peter's teaching and you feel the weight of conviction. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to repent and walk a different way. Now, you might be hearing Peter's words today and you might feel I don't know what to call it other than it rubs raw some wounds you have. It rubs raw some some wounds that you have. In other words, it's painful because you know you are living in this situation. Maybe you're living in it today. And I think the word that I could offer you today is to just know that God sees, that God knows, that you can trust him. He will make good on all his promises to you. You will not regret faithfulness to him, even while you wait for healing and provision and change. It seems like there might be a third way that you could react in hearing Peter's teaching about this better way of relating. And that might be because tonight you're, you're, you're not married, okay? You're, you're not a married person. You just got to listen in here. And I think if you're not a married person, I think that this text teaches you at least two things I'm going to say really quick. I think, first of all, this text teaches you that marriage is not the have-all, end-all of human existence. That's sometimes, especially in conservative Christian evangelical circles, it is pitched as if it's the have-all, end-all of human existence, and it's not. To be in a difficult marriage is a unique kind of living hell. And I think what this text would teach you if you're not married is to not settle, to not settle for someone who will not treat you in an understanding way. To not settle for someone, not to settle for anything less than this vision that Peter presents. Don't settle. Finally, maybe there's a fourth way we could all respond. And I want to say this to all of us, that I think this text just presents a really beautiful vision of what it could mean to be in a Christian community. See, it's not just advice to husband's wife. It's, an advice, it's advice to any kind of Christian relationship. Imagine with me. Just imagine with me belonging to a church family where it was just constantly, constantly, all the time, just constantly people giving themselves away for other people. People laying down themselves, understanding others, connecting with others, um, 
seeking to, to serve other people, to not serve themselves. What if a Christian community, married or single, took up this vision of a better way of relating to one another? I know that that would feel like we could come alive together in Christ. So no matter where you fall, I want you to hear this clear word that in Jesus, there's a better way of relating to one another. And may the Lord create grace fellowship into the kind of community by the power of his spirit. Because of his great love and mercy, may he make us into a kind of people who live according to this beautiful vision. Let's pray. Lord, these are hard words. These are hard words. And I know our tendency is to be cold and calloused and distant and unthoughtful and inconsiderate and self-absorbed. Not just in our marriages, but in our relationships in general. So Lord, by the power of your spirit, would you use these words to shake us up? Lord, to turn over rough soil in our hearts, to birth something new, Lord, in relationships, even here at Grace. Lord, would you help us? Lord, thank you that in you, Lord, we have someone who knows us and loves us and sees us. Lord, I pray that your love for us would sustain us in difficult relationships. Lord, I pray that you would tend wounded hearts tonight. pray that you'd bring conviction that you let us know the joy of repentance and obedience to you. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.